Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Joining me today on JOSPT Insights to talk all things return to baseball pitching, who better than Dr. Mike Reinold, the co-owner of Champion PT and Performance in Boston, Massachusetts. Mike's also the senior medical advisor for the Chicago White Sox, and he'll hardly need any introduction to the JOSPT community. In today's episode, Mike draws on his extensive experience working at the pinnacle of pro baseball to share his top tips on measuring and managing workload and return to pitching. Welcome to JOSPT Insights, Mike. Hey, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, obviously an honor. Oh, thanks for joining us, Mike. It's great. I'm really looking forward to learning more about baseball injuries, pitching and performance. So first, can I get you to share with us what are the typical injury patterns that you see in the baseball players that you work with? Yeah, you know, the big thing, and if we're, if we're talking about pitchers and you, you look at the vast majority of injuries in the pitcher, of course, it's going to be shoulder elbow, right? So that's kind of like the no-brainers of that. I would say in the last 20 years over my career, we've evolved quite a bit. We used to be a ton of shoulder and a smaller amount, maybe two-thirds shoulder and about a third elbow. And I think over time, we've evolved that. I think we've done a really good job with our injury prevention programs, some of our arm care programs, to really do a good job at protecting the shoulder. But what we're seeing now is this, this huge, significant increase in the amount of injuries we have to the elbow. So ulnar collateral ligament injuries or Tommy John injuries are probably our number one thing that we see. Oftentimes, once we see them, they're really hard to manage, So they, or it's probably too late, so they tend to go on to surgical reconstruction at some point. You know, with the shoulder, I mean, what we're dealing with is we're usually dealing with some type of a hypermobile athlete that has some, some chronic acquired mobility on top of that. So we deal with tons of different injuries. It could be rotator cuff irritation or inflammation. It could be labral issues or capsule or anything really. It almost always comes down to the fact that they're hypermobile with poor dynamic control. And what proportion of these patients or athletes are having surgery versus managing without surgery? Well, we always want to see them and give it a shot first. I want to do two things when I evaluate you. One is we're gonna I'm going to evaluate specifically your elbow, right? So I want to get a diagnosis. We'll do special tests, like that sort of thing. I want to figure out you know, your exact diagnosis of your elbow. We're going to have people come in. They're tired. They have had poor workloads. They're weak. They're tight. Maybe they have poor mechanics. I think we want to try to chip away at some of those suboptimal things before we rush into surgery, especially the shoulder. I'd say maybe it's 50-50 with the elbow because sometimes you just look and it's like, oh, okay, no, that's torn. It's torn. Not much we can do there. You know, a lot of times it's, uh, well, let's see if we can take some stress off the elbow by optimizing your shoulder, for example. So um, I'd say for the shoulder, it's probably like 80-90% non-operatively managed nowadays. Today, we're going to really focus on the return to throwing or return to pitching side rather than the management of injuries. So I'm going to skip, deliberately skip the management part. And clearly, there's a whole stack of stuff that we can have on us on another podcast where we unpack all of the management that happens from the time the athlete first walks in the clinic to see you. Let's jump into the return to throwing or return to pitching program. So what are your guiding principles in return to pitching? 
there's two things that we look for to start a throwing program. It's, it's, are they medically cleared? Meaning is the structure or tissue, is it past the point where it is now safe to resume a throwing progression? So especially if that's like postoperatively, for example, like is the new reconstructed ligament ready to start applying stress? Just because it's magically week 16 doesn't mean we can start throwing for you. So we also want them to be cleared physically. And you know, the baseline things is, do you have your full range of motion? Do you have not just like baseline strength, but better than baseline strength? Because often your baseline strength is why you got hurt, right? So we need, to, we need you stronger than that. Do you have enough strength? Are you able to go through all the progressions? But I hate to say it. I think our, you know, the biggest aspect of return to play testing for us that we've still been doing for 20 years now is going through our rehab progression. And I know that's almost like a cop out, right? But like, if you look at it, there aren't a lot of good functional tests for the upper body. Nothing stresses the body like throwing. Baseline strength, to advanced strength, to dynamic strength, to speed strength, to power strength, right? We have all these progressions in there. I, the whole goal of our rehab progression is that when you pick up a baseball, it's going to be very anticlimactic. It's actually going to be very easy on the body compared to it. So that's a little bit about how we start. And then as we progress, it's just like everything else. We manipulate the variables of the, the number of throws, so the volume, the intensity, which oftentimes we manage that in baseball by distance, assuming the further you throw them, the more intense it is, and then the frequency. I'm going to give you guys a bit of a sneak peek, but also a, uh, like an admission for interval throwing program. It is very medical very like, let's do two sets of 30 throws at 45 feet, very medical. So what we started doing the last few years is we have a better understanding of workload management, workload progressions. And we started building that into our throwing progressions. Now we guessed in the past and we guessed with our best case knowledge, but now we understand the difference in the torque on the elbow at different feet and different intensities and different distances. So we started to build that into our program and we have a much more scientifically based interval throwing program that we're now currently using. Our original one that most everybody uses isn't perfect. It kind of spikes the workload a little bit too fast because of the volume. But more importantly for me, towards the end, it starts to plateau your chronic load. And that's right when you're about to get back in the competition. I want your chronic workload increasing towards the end. So uh, we've completely revised that. And as we learn more, we kind of keep tweaking it. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about, let's break that down a bit and talk about specifics. So what are you manipulating? How are you doing it? And how are you measuring it? It all started when we started to get better biomechanical studies that looked at the stress on the body at different distances and intensities. And then we just we just use the means. And so we say like, all right, 120 feet is about this much stress. And then 150 feet is this much stress. We use those means to kind of come up with like a nice generic program that we can kind of use for everybody. That helped us get really close. There's a new device out now. There's some like IMUs that you can put into a sleeve. It's a sleeve with an accelerometer, like IMU that built like built into a chip that you put on your medial elbow, and it measures torque. And is it perfect? No, but it's really close. And we've published some studies. We published some in uh, Sports Health that looked at the reliability of it, and we showed really good reliability equal to a gold standard of like a motion capture system. So it's it's reliable. And we started to actually measure the exact stress on the person throwing and make sure that we scripted out a progression based on your unique stress, right? Because me and you, we have completely different stress on our bodies with different throws. 
So we manipulate the number of throws, the distance, the intensity, but then, you know, the frequency, we do it all the way together and we measure acute chronic workload and the ratios of that to make sure that we're going up slowly over time and we're gradual and persistent. There's other low cost, easier ways to do it. You can use velocity, potentially maybe have like a pocket radar and measure velocity in there. And what sort of time frame are we talking about this happening over? Like, is it four weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks? Yeah, good question. It depends on the injury. So in my mind, there's short-term and long-term interval throwing programs. In a general sense with short-term, this isn't always perfect, but a good rule of thumb for you if you're in the clinic is that for however many days that you are down from throwing is how many days it takes for us to progress back. So if you have a real easy injury that was just, we just took like five, six, seven days off, we would take five, six, seven days to ramp you back up to where you were. Right. And that you can say that for 21 days, you know, 30 days. If you start getting a little bit like kind of longer than that, we go more to our long term progressions for post operative. So, again, Tommy John's probably like the easy one to talk about, but you can use this for all your shoulder stuff too. What we typically do is we have about a six month progression. So it's six months of throwing, but we break that up into 12 week chunks. We break up into 12 week chunks. We also break it up into six week chunks. And then what we do is every six weeks, we have a deload period where we actually bring the volume and intensity down. And that's the kind of control that progression of the chronic workload. So we can kind of manipulate that ourselves a little bit. So we'll go six weeks of like playing light catch. We'll start at 30 feet, 45 feet, maybe if this is a really long program and we'll just limit the number of throws. And then each day, you know, it's a slight increase in both volume and intensity. So we'll ramp that up do a bit of a deload, ramp it up, do a bit of a deload, ramp it up, keep going. Eventually, we'll go from just playing catch, long toss, to throwing off a mound, to start doing some like simulated competition things like live batting practice where you're, you're actually trying to focus on your external results, not your internal feeling. So like, does my elbow feel okay versus can I get a guy out? And how do you get the balance between the intensity and the frequency or the, just the counting the number of throws or pitches? And when do, you, when do you know that that's the thing or when do you know that it's intensity? What it comes down to almost all the time, it's very easy for us to script out the frequency and volume. That's kind of the baseline. It's the easiest thing. Let's script that out. The variation that we see from player to player is intensity. And we see it all the time. Maybe you have a uh, you know, high school kid, you know, they're, you know, they're not mature. They don't understand as well about their body. You're starting to play catch with them like on day one and on their like fifth throw, they're throwing as hard as they can, like trying to like bury it into your chest. And you have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I play catch with my athletes still. And I think it's huge because you get to see the spin on the ball. You get to see the flight of the ball a little bit. Um, You get to feel it. So you feel like the intensity that's coming. So I recommend you do that or at least watch their throwing sessions. But I am now good at saying like, whoa, that's way too hard. Let's slow down a little bit. If you're not good at that yet, then by all means, use a little radar gun that you can measure kind of stress. There's no magic number. So find like the intensity that you think is appropriate for right now. It shouldn't be max effort. Figure out what that miles per hour is on a radar gun and then just try to keep them at that point. Be like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just went up five miles per hour on that throw. Like slow down, slow down, that type of thing. So that's a way to monitor it. What are the tests that you're using, say, each week to know when it's okay to progress the load, the intensity, the frequency, those sorts of things? So the easiest test, every time they come in for a session, we just we, we always do a quick assessment. Every time anybody comes into our clinic and gets on a table, it's a quick assessment at the beginning. 
say it's for example, it's it's their Tommy John. We're gonna bring them back in the passive external rotation, just make sure that they're comfortable still. Make sure that they're not getting a little irritable. So the first thing we'll test is like are their symptoms increasing slightly? So you have to have that baseline from your original diagnosis and evaluation that you knew like what were the the big indicators so that way you could reassess those quickly. Then we always kind of say this with our baseball players. This is most of what we do during this process is we manage the stress. So what happens is we know that the, the, the arm, the shoulder, the forearm gets tight and it gets tired. So as we're bringing them through their assessment, we're looking at their range of motion, we're looking at their strength with a few manuals as we get like a warm up before we get out to uh, the throwing pro- progression. And we just kind of monitor their tolerance to that. And that's the key point of working with these players is that you get this sense of the person. All of a sudden, one day you walk in, you're like, wait a minute, your external rotation doesn't feel too good today. What's up? Do you feel okay? And if you've been consistently assessing them, then you get a good sense of it. I wish I could tell you there was something more magical than that. I wish there was like a device we could use or there was a special test we could perform that says, oh, you're underneath uh, 90%. We need to slow down. But it's a lot about how they're tolerating and how their body's tolerating it. So subjectively, how do they feel? But then objectively, do I think they're getting too tight or too tired? And then we manipulate the program based on that. Now, we're talking a lot about external load measures or metrics. So we're talking about number of throws, uh, velocity. Are there internal load metrics that you're also measuring at the same time yeah like so range of motion and you know strength those are like some of the big ones like you know baseball is different right we're not looking at things like you know like vo2 max or heart rate or something like that as much i do think as we get better at our current understanding of these metrics we will start to get more towards that. But I think as a profession, we have bigger fish to fry in baseball right now. Like we're not doing a good job with our workload progressions yet. So do I think VO2 max or do I think like, you know, cardiac like output or something like that is is relevant to how well they recover? Absolutely. But that's like a cherry on top from, from the basic stuff. I'm going to ask you to nail down your three top tips for load management and load progression so that we can nail them to the clinic wall. What would you say to folks out there as guiding principles? My tip number one is like slow daily increments, even if it's just increasing throws by five or like a very small percentage. But I think the bigger thing comes down to the intensity monitoring, which is the hardest thing to monitor. So here's the phrase I use all the time with our athletes. I say, let distance dictate your intensity. If you and I are playing catch and we're 90 feet away, I want you to throw the ball with a slight arc that it's on its descent as it comes down into my glove. We say, okay, here's 90 feet, then here's 120 feet, here's 150 feet. And we show those arcs over time. And we say, what you don't want to do is be firing it in on a line into my chest as hard as you can, because if I miss that ball, that would keep going a bunch. And then the third one is that we just, we just monitor their body. We monitor their response to just make sure that we don't need to slow it down. But don't panic. Don't shut them down, speed them up, shut them down, speed it up, just slightly alter. So that way we're just, we're, we're fine tuning our progression consistently versus making big leaps because we're panicking or, or not reassessing them frequently. I think that consistency message is a really important one. And, and it fits, I think, a lot with what Professor Tim Gabbett would say, and that is that it's about training smarter and harder, not necessarily stopping training to try and avoid injuries. That's right. Now, what else is going on while this throwing program's happening? Because clearly athletes have got to train lots of different body systems and they're not simply going to be throwing as their whole training program. So what else are you building into the program, Mike? 
we start off, um, obviously you're in the rehab phase when somebody's rehabbing. So we're, we're getting like their baseline metrics of their body back. Then we start blending in some like baseline introductory strength and conditioning principles, like so total body stuff, um, that's specific baseball. As we progress, we can start getting more and more advanced. And, you know, we use that quite a bit to our advantage because at the beginning of a throwing progression, it's very mild. If your first week of throwing after Tommy John, you're just playing, you're throwing like 30 throws at 45 feet. That is nothing. It's not stressful on the body at all. So at the beginning of a throwing program, we still have some room to start making progress in their with their bodies. As you get more towards competing and you're throwing as hard as you can and you're trying to get back to competition, then what we don't want to do is we don't want to layer in competing stress. So we don't want to like be completely taxing them in the gym when they're trying to perform on the mound. But we have this window at the beginning that we do a bunch. For us, it's it's all about strength and power in a linear plane, so outside of the sagittal plane, and rotational plane. You want to develop the power in your legs. You want to transfer it through your core, and then you dissipate it in your arm. And that's how you make a pitch. So if you want to get better at pitching and you want to have uh, like more sound performance, get really strong legs that are, that are ability to produce force, but produce force rapidly. So we have power, be able to transfer that appropriately. So good mobility between trunk hip separation, and then be able to transfer that without an energy leak, and then be able to dissipate it through your arm with good rotator cuff, scapular control, stuff like that. One of the challenges I think a lot of people find when they work with athletes who have had an injury that takes them away from their sport for a while is getting people to buy into the length of, of the program. And you talked about how, you know, some of these athletes really want to throw really hard from the beginning and you've got to just pull them back a bit. What tips would you share with folks listening for talking with athletes, building that relationship of rapport and trust rather than getting frustrated and going too hard too early and ending up setting themselves back? I, I say it this way in all honesty. I'm like, look, you hired me to get you back to pitching as fast as we can. That's my job. And we're going to do that. Nobody wants to buy an injury prevention program, but they'll buy a performance enhancement program. You know what the good part is? It's the same thing. I want you pitching at your best. Uh, this program is designed to take this long and get you to a point where you're pitching at your best. We underestimate the mental aspect of injuries. Yeah. And I think the other thing can be working closely with coaches and building that relationship with the coaching staff, because that can also be where pressure comes from. So what have you learned over your many years of working at the top of sport, building those sorts of relationships with coaches or perhaps with other team clinicians? If you don't have buy-in from the whole team, so meaning the coach, the athlete, maybe the parent, if it's a youth, and then the medical department, like performance department, if you don't have buy-in from everybody, it's it's probably going to fail. You know, for me, I tend to work with a lot of teams, right? So uh, I am, I'm part of a department that has the pitching coach, right? So if you work with a pro team, like we can just talk to our pitching coaches or a college setting. But if you're like in an outpatient clinic, and you're by yourself and you're not affiliated with the team, I think one of the strongest things you can do is really reach out to the player's coaching staff and share with them and say, hey, because of A, B, and C, I think we should do this. What do you think? Right? We don't do that enough in rehab. We don't ask the coaches for their input. And almost all the times, the coaches have the kid's best interest in their, in their mind. That's why they're coaches usually. So sometimes they'll, they'll fight you if you don't communicate and you seem like you are the contrarian and you are uber conservative. Sometimes you have to articulate to the coaching staff why you think it's going to take that long to get proper buy-in. And then I think you're in a great position. 
I want to bring it back now to the tests that you're going to do that are going to guide your return to unrestricted participation. So this getting the athlete transitioning from working with you in rehab in the clinic to being back with the team and not seeing you anymore. What are the tests that you're doing that when you're saying, okay, you're ready to go back. I don't need to see you again. I think what you do is like when somebody can, when you can, you can say that they're physical characteristics. So usually range of motion, strength, and then you have a sense of like dynamic stability and neuromuscular control because you've been doing drills with them and stuff. When you think they're ready to graduate and get into just like a maintenance gym program, I think you can you can start to take that leap. But oftentimes we do that too early. And then what happens is, is they start focusing like, so like their deadlift strength gets like really high, but their rotator cuff still weak. And then they they're continue with their throwing progression and inevitably they will have a down period where they kind of get a little flared up or a little bit sore, right? So I hate to say it, I don't think there is a finite discharge from physical therapy when you're going through such a big injury and you're trying to get back to such a demanding sport. Even if you just check in every other week or maybe once a month, I think just at, at this level, that's that's kind of what you're going for. In the ideal world, that's a fantastic setup. And we recognize that lots of folks are working in private clinics where you've got a set number of visits and you'd what you would like to do is not necessarily what's dictated by the funding model. That's that's our caveat, but absolutely. I think this notion of being able to check in and out, and that's why working as a team clinician, being embedded within the team gives you a really great opportunity to consistently influence an athlete's performance and an injury prevention program as well, because you're there and you're working with them all the time. Just remember like insurance is designed, they like get you back to like ADLs, not to pitching 90 miles an hour. I think they just got to keep that in mind. And look, that's part of your investment. If you're trying to take your career to the next level and do this, you got to understand that it's not going to be 12 visits. You know, that's very unrealistic. Let's talk about injury prevention and performance. And I like the idea of this being on a continuum rather than being a dichotomy or an either or. What are your top tips for folks who are aiming to help athletes stay injury free after their shoulder or elbow injury? The problem with our current generation of baseball is that we then do these programs all winter designed to get better. And those are oftentimes more stressful than pitching off the mound. So the number one thing is we're, we're overdosing. And we have to manipulate our dose a little bit better. So unfortunately, it's often too late, right? You, you get into the, the hands of a medical provider after you've been injured. So you didn't understand you were overdosing. I always say like, if you want to increase your performance or prevent injury, there's four buckets you have to maximize. So the first one's age and maturity. If you look at the standard deviation of maturation, right? Give or take, you have a plus or minus two years. So if you look at a high school team, you got like a JV team or something like that, and you have a bunch of 15-year-olds, who do you think throws harder? The ones that, that are 15 chronologically, but maturation-wise look like a 17-year-old. But the ones on the other side of the curve, what do they say? Like, well, I, we're the same age. I need to throw harder. So I'm going to Google a velocity program. For every year you age, your velo goes up almost 1.5 miles per hour. For every inch you grow, your velo goes up almost 1.5 miles per hour. That's your number one bucket you got to maximize. And before that, don't push the limits because you just, you got to get bigger and stronger. Number two is strength and conditioning. And some of the principles we talked about, we have to, you have to build it in a baseball specific way. Number three is arm care. You have to have a really strong and stable rotator cuff, scapular strength, those types of things. And then finally, four is throwing. You got to have that good sound mechanics. Thanks a ton, Mike, for sharing some great tips, blending your wealth of clinical experience with excellent knowledge of the research. It's been a pleasure having you on JOSPT Insights today. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate obviously being involved and keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Bye.